want to encourage you to keep a mark there. As we look today, much of it will be walking through this parable. So we'll be going back and forth to this Matthew chapter 25, beginning in verse 1. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil in the jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both of us and you. And said, Go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the others also came. Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. Father, I pray that you would help us in this. To hear your voice this day in your word that you would make it clear not just that we might understand but more than that you would make it clear how what you have to say today applies to each and every one of us what we need to do about it how we need to be different not just in actions but in attitude Lord, move in a mighty and a powerful way as only you can do. Helping not only me to speak, but each of us to listen. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so Armageddon, the road, deep impact. Knowing, Dr. Strangelove, almost any zombie movie, Independence Day, War of the Worlds, Day the Earth Stood Still, The Day After Tomorrow, The Planet of the Apes, Contagion, Oblivion. Uh, these are all names of movies, and I'm not re recommending that you watch any of these at all. Rather, just pointing they have a common theme. In fact, if we had time, we could just go on and list so many more other ones just like that. It's all about, it's about this, oh, wow, how'd we get all the way there? I don't know what happened there, sports fans. Let's go back. There we go. It's, oh, now we're there. All right, so. Here's what it's about. Each of those. Think about it. Those movies are really about the end is near or it's already come. The whole thing of what, what's going on. 
In fact, there are uh, not just movies, but books. We have this fascination. I'm not just talking about the church. Think about all these movies. We have this fascination about the end of the world and all of what's going to happen. In fact, over this last year, with all the crazy and serious things that have happened, that fascination has only picked up, has only increased exponentially, even among Christians, and even among those who suddenly become self-proclaimed prophets, showing up and sharing their insights from God about the end times and how this is this and that. Except all too often, all of these uh, prophets that we're hearing even now and have been for centuries often are involved in faulty interpretations of the word of God leading to false teachings about the end times that do not match with what the rest of the word of God says. They are bringing in puzzle pieces from outside the Bible and trying to push them into places they do not belong. And so there is a rise not only of false teachers and false prophets, but there is a lowering or a decrease in the discernment among God's people. And the problem is often we don't see the problem in the conclusions that this person is saying, well, it sounds good because we don't have a good foundation. But an even greater problem than that is that too many times these even, quote, legitimate, if you could say, legitimate prophetic experts teach a lot of speculation, but very little preparation. Very little preparation of what the Word of God says we need to do for the end times. And so in the midst of this, last summer, a sense of God's prompting to say that, hey, the next series to do after James is going to be this one that we're starting today. And Times 101, getting ready for the return. Uh, sometimes what we're talking about and we're talking about the end times is that word eschatology. I don't know if you ever heard that, but it's just basically the study of last things. The study of last things as we're getting ready. This is what we're going to get into uh, this is something that's crucial that we understand. But let's make sure as we get into dealing with eschatology, the end times, that we don't forget that it is even more important that we have a firm grasp of our Christology and soteriology. In other words, I'm using the same word as eschatology, right? That's what we're saying. End times about eschatology, it's even more important, more essential, because this is where our problems really begin, is that we do not have a good Christology, meaning we do not know who Jesus Christ is according to the word of God, and it is being twisted. And we do not know, as the other one dealt with salvation, matters of salvation, we do not understand salvation and how it comes to us and how we receive that. It is important that we get those matters before we even talk about end times. Because if we don't got who Christ is and how to be saved, the rest of this doesn't matter. Are you with me? For us to understand this. And so 
we will not be getting into every little detail, but rather focusing mostly on big picture things to build a solid foundation on and to be able to discern more easily from. That said, this what we're going to do is not something that's going to be covered in two or three sermons. We're going to look at the basic foundational things, and that's going to, to adequately do this. It's going to take many months into this for us to get through from raptures to tribulations to second comings to millenniums to so much more as we want to deal with it. And as we begin this series, we begin with this parable right here in Matthew 25, whose main point of this parable is the main point of studying end times prophecy. And that is we need to be ready. The main point of it is that we need to be ready. Verse 1, now let's look back. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. See, here's the thing. This is a parable. Jesus, this is the first thing, because where we get off is how we interpret the Bible, where they get off in the wrong direction is not understanding. Jesus is, first of all, teaching us a parable. A parable is some a unique uh, way that Jesus teaches in story form to bring about a point. It is not a literal historical account of what took place. And we know that because, first of all, it's saying it will be like. This is something that takes place in the future. It's the kingdom of God in the future will be like this. And one of the important things about parables is that there is one important thing about a parable. We should always get that. There's one important message, one important point that is always about a parable. And we see it uh, either before or after the parable or even within the parable like we do here. Look at verse 13. Therefore, keep watch because therefore, you know, so he says everything, all he said. And now, therefore, based on what I just said, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. You need to be ready. In fact, in verse uh, 10 earlier, it says they were not ready, which is why the title of this message was ready or not. And that whole concept of getting ready, being ready. Keeping watch and being ready is further supported by looking at the context. We say that, and sometimes I don't know if everybody understands. I say looking at the context is, is looking at the other words, the other things that are being said before it and after it, such as in chapter 24 and chapter 24, 25, that the rest of chapter 25, it's all about end times. It's all about what is yet to happen. It is about the judgment that is coming. And the reason I call attention to all this is because there are many who teach on the end times who go off in their own interpretation trying to read into what is not there. We need to study the Bible beginning with what is the clear and plain teaching or clear and plain reading of the passage without adding to it. I'll say that again. What is the clear and plain reading of the passage without adding to it and to allow the Bible to interpret itself? I realize that it can be exciting to allegorize every detail and find some hidden symbolic meaning in what we've never heard before is being revealed to us. But the first question is, what does it say? For example, in this, somebody could pick apart this parable, starting with there are ten virgins. 
10 is a perfect, complete number. It's like instead of 10, we could just say 100%. And we have five of them or 50% of them who are wise and 50% who are foolish. But more than that, as you think about the 50% and 50, you know, only 50% got in to be with Jesus. So that means that this parable is teaching us that 50% of the people in the world will get to go to heaven and 50% of the people in the world will not get to go to heaven. In other words, you have a 50-50 chance. And now you have a new revelation. Because it says right there, I was going to say, are you with me? But I'm hoping you're not. <laughs> right? I'm hoping you're not there. But see, this is the kind of stuff that's happening. Not just in end times teaching, but in teaching in general. What we hear, it's, it's reading into what is not there and what is no place else in the Word of God. If anything, there is a different message from Jesus when He said, narrow is the door and wide is the path to destruction. There are times where... Something is plainly and clearly symbolic in the word of God. And therefore, we interpret it such. But so much of what is said is plain and literal. It says what it says. And the danger is not only in end times, but in so many other areas that we find some hidden, some allegorical meaning that that you'd never heard and then... And, and when somebody gives you something like that, it should be a yellow flag that gets thrown up. Say, wait, wait a minute. I need to look both ways before crossing here. Because this is how false teaching and heresy and cults begin. Reading in and, and adding this new meaning in all these things. It's one of the reasons why we're having this series on End Times 101. But let's get back to the main question today. And that is, are you ready or not? We need to be ready for the return of Christ. How do you know that you are ready according to the word of God? Well, there's some lessons in this parable that we can see. Obviously, we begin the parable with festivities. In verse 1, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. There's these uh, festivities surrounding a wedding, which they would have practiced different than we do here in the United States. In fact, for all that matters, other countries today practice different than we do when we think about weddings. And their weddings uh, would have had different preparations. Their weddings would have had different phases of it. it. It went on, the whole thing went on for extended periods of time. But for the point of this parable, it's not necessary that we understand every little detail about this and then allegorize about it, uh, make this, write the stories about it, especially when not everyone has even agreed about the details historically. But let's look in verse 1. It is those who were in and went out to meet. Those in a procession were expected to carry their own torch or lamp. Otherwise, you'd be seen as a uh, party crasher. Now, usually when we think of oil lamps type of thing, you know, we think of uh, we think of this kind of thing, right? Like a lamp like this. But more so, it is probably lamps that might be more like this. Or let me give you a picture up on the screen. These might be some of the different lamps we're talking about carrying. And so you see where the oil would go in and then there's the wick and, and all of that that is involved with it. Each of them 
that was a part of it. That was just what was part of the procession. You had to carry the lamp. That way you, they knew you were a part of the wedding party, so to speak. Here's the main difference between those who were wise and those who were foolish. Those who were ready and those who were not. In verse 4. Obviously, uh, the foolish ones in verse 3, the foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil in their jars along with the lamps. Now, in verse 3, this is important. The foolish ones took how much oil? How much extra oil did they take? None. Zero. And for some reason, they didn't even notice it or realize that they didn't have it until verse 8 when they were like, ah, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? We need, you know, they didn't, they, they were not prepared. There was no one to blame but themselves. How many of us have ever made a foolish choice and we knew what we should have done before we did it, but we just didn't do it? We knew it. We felt, maybe I don't want to do it. I don't feel like it. Or have you ever forgot something? And, and, but you know what? I'm not going to go back and get it. You know, I forgot that umbrella. I'm not going to, it'll be fine. You know, I, and, or, or maybe it's not just that uh, you don't feel like, or you don't want to go back, but you just don't want to. I, and then it doesn't work out. It all comes down to more than just not being prepared. Here's the point. These who are foolish, it's not just that they were not prepared. It's that they did not take the need to be prepared seriously. They would have known what was needed. Because in many ways, it just doesn't make any sense. In those days, there would have been no time frame given. Nothing expected of when the bridegroom or the party was going to come. If anything, you would expect it's going to happen whenever. I mean, that's just the way it's here. It's going to happen whenever. Whenever. It's not because they didn't know. They were foolish, not ignorant or uninformed. And this is a point that we need to make sure we grab a hold of. And we'll see a little in a little bit the difference between them. But here's the point. Think about it this way. How many of you have been to a wedding? All right, almost everybody's been to a wedding. Even in our society, which is different the way do it, they're doing it, but you've been to a wedding, you go to the wedding ceremony, and then you go to the reception, which is usually someplace else where you have the banquet. When you go to that reception, are you expecting as soon as you walk in the doors, you're going to be served food? <laughs> Not at all. Do you know when it's going to happen? You know when the bride, because the bride and groom arrives and then there's the celebration begins. Hey, and then we get to eat. Do we know when that's happening? In all the weddings that you've gone to, have you worked out a formula that you can figure out exactly? No, absolutely not. We don't know. Who knows when it's going to happen? Now it's going to happen today in most of our weddings. We, we understand that it's the wedding was today. Well, eventually they'll be here. We know that. And so we go in, at least most of us, 
go to the reception with the attitude knowing I'm not going to get food right away. I'm going to be sitting here and waiting. That's just the attitude I've got to have if I'm going to survive this. All right? These five foolish versions were not any different. I mean, if not more so prepared in their knowledge of what was awaiting them, that they were all about waiting. It, it comes down to... Uh, it comes down to this, lesson number one. We need to be prepared with a ready, set, wait attitude. Here it is. We need to be ready, set, wait attitude. You recall in James chapter 5 when we were going through James, be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop. Patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. He's coming. The bridegroom is coming. It's coming soon. Be patient, but wait. Be ready, set, wait. See, what, what we're talking about is it. we're not implying that wait does not imply just sit and become complacent. Rather, while we wait, we must be ready for the bridegroom's return, which could happen at any moment. You don't know when. Waiting for the return of Jesus is something that every believer should be actively participating in instead of passively ignoring, which is much of the time today. First Thessalonians chapter 1, For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell us how you turned, from, turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. It is not just about turning and turning from our sin and turning to God. It is not just about the dealing with Jesus, the Savior of our past. It is about dealing with Jesus, who is the King to come in our future. We should be waiting at the very beginning of what was put in with them at the very beginning of their Christian life was a looking forward and expectation that soon and very soon we are going to see the king. Hallelujah, right? That's what's going to happen. But is that what we are looking forward to? Are we looking forward to his return? Is it even on our mind and our hearts? Because it should be. And it should be every time we come to communion, which is what we're doing today. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I think sometimes we just cut off that sentence. Every time we eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. That's not the end of the sentence. It's until he comes. In some ways, communion is temporary. Until he comes. We see next in verse 5, let's look at our passage in verse 5. The bridegroom was a long time in coming. They all became drowsy and fell asleep. They were waiting a long time for the bridegroom, which should not have been a surprise. That's just part of what happens. They all were drowsy and fell asleep. Some of you may know that reality right now. You're starting to feel that. But let's make sure that we understand the important fact that what took place happened to all ten. I know some would like to read into this and say, this is about the church. The church is asleep in the light so much and we need to wake up. There are those who in the church just need to wake up. But 
since both the wise, those who are considered wise and foolish fell asleep, this is not what this is about. What we can't take away from this is that no matter what we are doing, when Jesus comes back, whether we're sleeping, whether we're working, whether we're spending time with family, whatever it is, wherever we are, we need to be ready and not be foolish. And not be foolish by taking care of everything else first and, not, and deciding to deal with our spiritual life in Christ later. Why? Because verse 6, at midnight the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come to meet him. Come to meet him. They, they, the cry rings out suddenly. They didn't see it coming. Before we know it, the waiting is over and it's time. We cannot put it off. We need to be ready at any moment for Jesus' coming, for his return that is imminent, his coming that is soon. For all that matters, we don't know when our last breath is either. What we should know is that we need to be ready for his return. So are we? This morning, to ask ourselves, are we ready? But then this afternoon, to ask ourselves, are we ready? This evening, are we ready? Tomorrow and the next day and the next day, are we ready? To continue to be ready at any time. You know, it, it can be times like these. You, you come to a church service and God really grabs a hold of you, speaks to you, and you, you, get, you get yourself right with God. You get yourself ready in that moment, in that moment, in that church service, and you walk away and you are ready. But what happens for so many? Thinking that, oh, that's good. I did it in that moment. But three months from now, you're doing the same thing again. Which means between that moment and three months from now, you weren't ready somewhere along the way, were you? Because Jesus could come at any moment, not just today, right here, right now. Jesus could come at any moment. Are we ready? Which is why verse 13 tells us to keep watch because we do not know the day or the hour. Note the bridegroom coming took both the wise and the foolish by surprise. Maybe that takes you by surprise. But the bridegroom's coming took both the wise and the foolish by surprise. It's not like those who were wise were awake and waiting or somehow they knew what time the bridegroom was coming. All ten of these bridesmaids knew the groom, the bridegroom was coming. Only five were ready. Here's the key. The problem was what problem was not what they did not know. The foolish had the same basic knowledge of the bridegroom coming as those who were wise. But they were not ready. I don't know if you're catching this, but this is lesson number two. Preparation is not in what you know, it's in who you know. The preparation is not in what you know, it's in who you know. The five who were wise were not better prepared because they had a greater knowledge or a better understanding of when the bridegroom was going to come. 
or somehow were privileged to certain details that the foolish didn't have. They all had the same information. They all were in the same situation. They all had fallen asleep. And this is a problem with a lot of end times prophecy teaching that will try to tell you, you don't, don't be like these uneducated Christians around you. You need to get ready for the end times by continuing to listen to all my special prophecy insights and to tune in and to buy my books and all those kind of things because I'm going to save you from the end times with my intimate knowledge of what is going to happen. And even if the person is not somebody like that that's putting the focus on themselves, but their message is being presented in the fact that the more information you know, the better prepared you are for the end times. That's not the whole or even important Bible truth that we need to know that will prepare us. This is not just a problem with end time study, but in general. Because there are those whose wiring is more excited about gaining more knowledge, about filling our heads, but sometimes our hearts just remain empty. Why not? Because our churchianity has told us this for decades with Christian education as the model in our Sunday schools versus actually making disciples. Our focus was on more and more information in the Bible with very little focus on the actual application that could lead to a transformation. And why should we? Because Christian culture basically said, if you know more, then you are more spiritual. Along with a list of other things you check off in an external legalistic holiness. And so we end up missing the point of studying the end times with a focus of filling up our curiosity about some new detail about what the second horn on the second beast is, while our family and co-workers think we are the beast. Are you with me? Some would argue that they're just prepared for when the beast shows up. I'm just learning this so I can be prepared for when the beast shows up so I can recognize the beast. Well, beside the question of whether you actually have an accurate interpretation that applies in this time, because there have been beasts picked out for thousands of years, right? Besides, even if you had that, even if you had the actual thing that you really needed to know, just 10 minutes ago you were talking about how absolutely certain you are about being a part of the pre-tribulation rapture, that you're going to be taken out of here before the tribulation. In other words, before the beast is revealed. So why do you so desperately need to know every little detail and speculation about the beast that you are not going to ever see? Who are you preparing for? Well, are you preparing for the non-Christians? You're going to let them know so they know when it comes time uh, what the beast is going to look like? How about instead we prepare the non-Christians around us by telling them about Christ and having them come with us? The question is, why are we focusing more on what we know instead of who we know? And in that process, neglecting Christ and his mission. There are those who try to say, well, by knowing all the details, by, by going beyond the basics and, and clearly outlined in the word, by this kind of speculation, although they might not say it, by the speculation and application that they have, then by knowing exactly when it's happening, when it's going to happen and what's going to happen, by knowing all these details, we as Christians can have a sense of security. Now, that may sound good to our flesh but it shouldn't sound good to our spirit. Because 
how many of us really do want to know what's going to happen ahead of time? We want things planned out. We want things figured out. Some people, we don't want any surprises. We want to be ready. But even if that's all true, even all those speculations, if they were true, as we will see next week when we look at the signs of the end times, here's a greater truth. We should never find our sense of security, our peace in what we know. Are you with me? We should find it in who we know, Jesus. To think that I would have more peace about the end times if I just knew more about the end times. There will always be more to know. There will always be somebody else who has a different interpretation and everything else. And we will not find that peace that passes understanding of Philippians 4. And do you catch what Philippians 4, do you catch what that's saying? It's saying to have a peace that passes what? Understanding. Our knowledge. Our head. What we know. It goes beyond what we know. This peace is supernatural that comes from Jesus, not from our natural man studying and trying to figure it all out. Our sense of security should be found in Jesus. And do not allow a reliance on end times details to get us away from trusting in Jesus alone, who will continue to hold our hand through whatever comes. So no matter what's going to happen, it is not about what we know. It is about who we know that will bring us peace. Both the wise and the unwise woke up quickly and they tried to get their lamp ready as we move on. In verse 7, then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. They all did what needed to be done when the time came. They did the right thing. Unfortunately, for the foolish ones, they were just going through the motions. This is the right thing. Get up, <clears throat> light's gone out, trim your lamp so you're ready to go. But except they weren't ready because it was too late. They had no oil. And therefore, the foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. But the wise said what? In verse 9, no, they replied. They may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. Now, no might sound like a heartless response, but it's the truth. In fact, the truth is some need to grasp this more than others. There is no one who can bail us out in a last-minute judgment from God. Just as those five could not get in the door of the bridegroom's celebration with the oil that came from others, neither can someone else's faith get us into heaven. It will, not because, it will not be because your parents are Christians or your family is Christians or you went to a church where there are a lot of Christians. God has no grandchildren, only children. One person's faith cannot save another person. And so we see it comes down to what happens here at the very end. In verse 10, while they were on the way the oil to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet. The door was shut, but later the others said, Sir, sir. Open the door for us. And if we thought the wise, five wise had a cold response, the response comes in verse 12, but he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Just like in Matthew 7. 
This is what I was getting at earlier. Jesus did not say, I'm not going to let you in because you didn't study enough because you don't know the certain things that you should have known about the end times. He's saying, because I do not know you and you do not know me. This is what it comes down to. This is between them and the bridegroom. The day, it, it, it will come a day when it's between just us and Jesus and we need to settle those things today, not then, because by then it will be too late. To trust in Jesus Christ alone for our salvation, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. A personal decision that's not just a one-time thing, but an all-out, all-the-time commitment to following Jesus as Savior and Lord, to take up our cross, to deny ourselves, to trust in Christ alone. And not in anything that we can do, but in everything that he has done. Not everyone today is ready to go through the door. Just because one professes to have faith does not mean one possesses that faith in Christ. In a sense, there are those who are ready to go to the party, but they don't want to get ready for it. There are those who want to go to heaven, but they don't want to die to self. There are those who want to see the streets of gold, but are not really excited to see Jesus. So, Here's lesson number three as we think about this. And this, out of all the things we've talked about today, is the most important biblical purpose of prophecy. In fact, here's what it is. The purpose of end times prophecy is to get a readiness that leads to holiness. The purpose of end times prophecy is to get a readiness that leads to holiness. The point of looking into eschatology has more to do with being ready in the present than figuring out the details about what's going to happen in the future. I realize that's a bold statement, but I believe God backs that up many times in his word. Let's begin with 2 Peter chapter 3, since everything will be destroyed. And, and as you read 2 Peter 3, I encourage you to look at there's more that is talked about the end times and what's going to happen and end of the world and the beginning of the new and all this stuff. But he says, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? Since you are talking and, and we've just talked about all this end times, what, how should you respond to this? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, since you are looking forward to the end times, looking forward, make every effort what? What should be our main effort? Studying, looking, and figuring out all the details out, doing this or that. No, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. This is not about our salvation. Please understand that. This is, we're not earned by in our works or somehow get in. And it's nothing about that, but it is everything about our sanctification, about our growth in Christ, about being holy as he is holy. A people who stand out ready, obediently living for the king that we have submitted our life to. If we are going to be ready, God has listed things that we need to be ready. The end time should lead us to these things like in 1 Peter 4, verse 7 through 11. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, 
love each other deeply because love, or, love covers over a multitude of sins. Now, we've probably heard that and we know that, but do you recognize that the reason he brings that up is because the end of all things is near. The end is coming. What do you need to do? Number one, above all, the end is coming. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you receive to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. And if anyone speaks, they should speak as one. The very words of God, if anyone serves, should do so with the strength God so provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Can we check off each of these things? Uh, we got this, we got this, we got, I'm, I'm ready. This is a part of our readiness. Pursuing holiness. Dr. Keith Bailey uh, has passed away, but he written many things doctrinally, especially regarding the Christian Missionary Alliance. He said this, The truth of the blessed hope will not produce wild-eyed fanatics, but stable, loving, godly, and useful people. When he's talking about the blessed hope, obviously, hopefully you grasp that it's about the coming of Christ. Uh, we'll see that in this next verse. But the truth of the blessed hope of Christ's coming will not produce wild-eyed fanatics, but stable, loving, godly, and useful people. Fanaticism begins when the dogmas of eschatology or divorce themselves from spiritual implications. The hope of the Lord's coming equips a believer to cope with life in the real world. He is not a detached visionary, but a servant committed to glorifying his master in word and deed while he awaits his return. I ask that the worship team go ahead and come on up. So what kind of Christians ought we to be? For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness, worldly passion, and to live self-controlled and upright godly lives in this present age, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself to redeem us from all wickedness and purify himself, a people his very own, eager to do what is good. Understand, as we come to communion, about being ready is a part of this. Is about looking forward to his coming is a part of this. But also understand, as it says in this verse, in verse 14 especially, look at it, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own. What I've talked about, about the readiness that should lead to our holiness. It is not a holiness that we try to, on our own, do it must be something that the Holy Spirit of God comes in, that we've surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus, and that He does. And it says right here, Jesus is the one who purifies us. Allow Him to do that. Surrender to Him. Each step, each walk. Lord, I pray as we come before Your table of communion that You would speak and move in us very clearly this day. Make us ready 
speak even now. We ask your blessing upon the bread. Symbolizes your body that was broken for us. Move in this moment for us to see you not only as Savior and Lord, but as coming King. And as our King. Bless this time now, Jesus. If you would take your bread.